by name. You know, can I talk to Mr. such and such? And the, and the staff people greet him and, and talk to him, and they quickly realize, oh, the person that he's asking for actually doesn't work here. There's nobody by that name at the school. See, the taxi driver got confused, and he was trying to go to some other international school a couple streets down, and instead he took the passenger to the seminary. And so the staff member was like, oh, actually, I think the, the, the school that you're looking for is down there. It's like the International School of Cavite or whatever. This is the Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Sorry. And the guy's like, oh, wait, wait, so there's, there's a seminary? There's a seminary out here in, in, in this rural area? Oh, huh, that's interesting. I'm a Christian, and I want to know more about the seminary. Tell me about it. And so they, they, they get to talking, and he, he realizes, he, uh, he, they get to talking, and he goes, wait a second. I have this, I believe that God sent me here for a reason. Have you guys been praying about something? What, what needs do you guys have at the seminary? And they're like, well, let me tell you. We have all sorts of needs. We have all sorts of financial needs. So they get to talking about that. And by the end of the conversation, this man busts out his checkbook and says, I'm going to make a small donation right now. When I get back to America in a few days, I'm going to contact you guys again, and I'll make another larger don donation. So many crazy stories like that, my dad told me. This is just kind of like more, one of the more tame ones. There's ones that are just so unbelievable. I hesitate to tell people because it's so out there. And so you would, so growing up under these stories, and my dad, the reason he told me these stories, there was always one point. It was always, God is faithful. God provides. God is trustworthy. And growing up, you would think that I would put my trust in the Lord. You would think that I would, I, I, uh, as I grew up and made adult choices and, and became my own person, I would be walking with the Lord because I heard all these stories. But instead, I did the exact opposite. I re, I re, for, for me, my reasoning was, in my mind, my reasoning was, well, all those things work for my dad. That's cool. Great. I mean, I believe you. You have no reason to lie. That's not me. That's not me. Our personalities are different. Our wants are different. The way we process things are different. We come from a totally different background, a different upbringing. What worked for you isn't going to work for me. I'm not even trying to be a pastor like you. The stuff you went through, I don't want to go through that stuff. And so I went the other way. And we see kind of something like that with the life of Jacob as well, too. Last week, Pastor Dan preached on the story of uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22, right? And what, was the, uh, and what was the point? God provides. God is a provider. In the midst of our hopelessness and our darkness and our waiting, God provides. And we all heard that sermon. You know who else heard that sermon growing up? Jacob. Jacob heard that sermon growing up all the time. In fact, he's been told this story and God's promises. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will, I will bless uh, those who bless you. And the purpose is that you will be a blessing to all nations. He's been, he's been told that all throughout his life. His grandpa is, uh, is Abraham. His dad is Isaac. But instead, what does uh, Jacob do? If you guys know the story of Jacob, he decides that, Wait a second. That's my dad. That's my grandpa. My circumstances are different. Right? I know God's promises are good. I've been told that. I've seen it. I can even recite God's covenantal promise to me and my family. But check it out. I'm not the firstborn. 
my, my brother Esau is actually going to get most of the inheritance. And then my dad actually doesn't like me that much. My dad likes him way better. He's probably going to get all the inheritance. And I'm a weakling. I'm not that manly, macho kind of dude. I know God's promised all these things, but it doesn't seem reliable to me. My circumstances are bigger and greater than God's faithfulness, than God's way of doing things. That's the story of Jacob. And, we'll see, and, and if you keep reading throughout Genesis and learn more about Jacob's life, you see the consequences that happen from these type of choices, right? His, he he, he uh, tricks his brother into uh, selling it or giving, him his, uh, giving up his uh, birthright. He tricks his dad into giving him uh, all his, all his uh, brother's inheritance. And he has to flee. His brother actually vows to kill him. That's serious stuff back then, uh, taking, uh, take, taking um, the older brother's inheritance. And then he goes o- over to, uh, to flees over to his uncle Laban's house. And that's not a pretty picture over there as well, too. You know, without going into all the details, you see the, just the chaos and the continual cycle of darkness. And, and, and you see Jacob continue to try to figure things out his way. It's like, man, I got myself into this mess. Now I've got to get myself out of this mess and just keep spiraling downwards and downwards and downwards. And if you're the original intended audience here, if you're the Israelites wandering in the desert who just left Egypt and you're reading this, it, 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 it's, supposed to, it's meant to do three things here for, for, uh, for, for the uh, readers. First thing it's supposed to do, it's supposed to serve this passage, the story of Jacob, is supposed to be a mirror. It's supposed to serve as a mirror. Despite God's faithfulness, despite God's display of tremendous power, despite God constantly proving and showing that he's a provider, I still doubt, we still doubt him. We still decide to go our own way. Isn't that the story of Israel? Isn't that, the peop- isn't that God's people in the desert? Isn't that exactly what they did? You brought us out of Egypt. Yeah, you parted the sea. Yes, you fed us manna. Yes, you clothed us. Yes, you, your very presence was seen and visible in our camp as we moved through the wilderness. Ah, but man, that was then. This is now. New situations come up. And... I don't know if you're reliable. I don't know if your promises are really reliable for me right now. And so they grumbled and they complained and, and do this uh, things their own way. It served as a mirror for Israelites. It served as a mirror for us as well, too. Isn't that us? God, I love you. I love it when you're my savior. But in this area, I don't know if I can make you Lord. In this area of finances, in this area of relationships, in this area of sexual morality. In, in this area of, 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 of my future planning. Lord, I don't know if you're reliable. My circumstances look way bigger, look way more scarier than your promises. It serves as a mirror. The second thing it, it does then is it serves as a warning for those Israelites, right? If you keep going down that path, if, if you keep trying to do things your way, Look at Jacob's story. It's chaos. It's a disaster. It's brokenness. Families are fractured. Brothers are trying to kill each other. It's a warning for them. So don't go down that way. And that's a warning for us too. We see ourselves as who we are, as people who are unfaithful to God, to a faithful God who's constantly proving to himself, uh, himself to us. And then we realize, man, we're going the wrong way. 
I need to change. I need to do something different about it. And so the third, the third um, thing that this passage, the story of Jacob serves, the original audience, and to us as well, too, is it's the message of transformative hope. You might say, well, how does it do that? How does the story of Jacob actually offer us hope? Jacob, who is a deceiver. Jacob, who's kind of a scumbag, to be honest, right? When you read about Jacob getting lied to and getting cheated by his uncle Laban, he's such a dislikable character. By then, you're kind of like, he's getting what, he's get, you know, he's getting what he deserves. You don't feel bad for him. And, and I believe the narration is kind of written that way. He's not a, he's not a sympathetic character in the Bible. He's the least deserving of, of, some, of the biblical patriarchs. How is that a message of hope? And you got to ask yourself, what if it, as a Christian, the biggest thing I struggle with is Franks. I still can't give up this part of my life to Christ. This, all areas are, are, are okay, but this few areas, I just, the light of Christ hasn't penetrated through there. I still believe in my heart, if I'm really being honest with myself, that Christ, God's promises, God's goodness and faithfulness is unreliable here. What are those areas? Don't we have those? And how do we have hope? See, the message oftentimes when we read, we read Jacob wrestling is this, this, it's this message of prayer. Well, look at how Jacob like, just prayed. It's like they, they turned a metaphor, uh, they turned it into a metaphor. Jacob wrestled against the angel, and, 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 and that's the metaphor for us clinging to God in prayer. And so the message becomes, well, don't be like Jacob, chapter 22 to, to, to 31, but chapter 32, be like Jacob. He's a prayer warrior all of a sudden, so be like him. And we turn it into a metaphor of, of that's what we ought to do. The real hope in, is us becoming prayer warriors. The real hope is us practicing great spiritual disciplines, being good churchmen, being good, speaking good Christianese. It becomes like that. But actually, the real hope is not in what Jacob does. The real hope of, ch of change and being transformed is not in us. If you look at today's passage, it's in how God deals with Jacob. How does God deal with Jacob? So that's going to be our point today, and that's what I, I want to focus on. <clears throat> how does God deal with Jacob? And with that being said, let's ask, how does God deal with us? How does God deal with his people who are constantly benefiting from his blessings, who are constantly being, be, being shown that God is real, that he provides, that he loves them, and yet they choose to go their own way. They're so prone to doubt. They're so prone to wander. How does God deal with us? Main point one, God relentlessly pursues and meets Jacob. God relentlessly, relentlessly pursues and meets Jacob. Let's read the passage again. Genesis uh, 32, verse 22. That same night he arose with Jacob and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. Let's stop right there. Let's, let's, let, let's kind of look into the story and see what's going on here. All right. So Jacob, after being pretty much played by his, his father-in-law for 20 years, being abused, being taken advantage of, being lied to, be, being ripped off by his father-in-law, Laban, he decides it's time, to, it's time to go back home. 20 years later, 
And so he's look, he, he, he's, but here's the problem. His, his brother hasn't forgotten about him. In fact, he sent out gifts and, 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 and caravans of all these gifts for his brother the day before. And the message that he got back was, oh, yeah, your brother's here. He's waiting with 400 people. With an army of 400 people, your brother's waiting. And so J- Jacob is terrified. He's terrified. It's a, it's, 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 it's a time of reckoning, right? He put this into motion 20 years ago, and it feels like payback time. His brother's waiting for him for 400 people, with, with 400 people, and he's not, and Jacob's not sure if he can get himself out of this. He's been so used to relying on his wits, on his cleverness, on his lies, on his kind of slimy uh, wheeling and dealing. But man, when you come up against 400 people with weapons, and your brother vowed 20 years ago that he's gonna that he's gonna kill you, it's a different place. It's a different thing. And that's where we're at. And this is when God actually shows up. And we read in the passage here, he sends he send all his possessions away. He divides them up so that if his brother attacked, at least some people will survive. And, that the, uh, and then uh, right before, uh, right after nightfall, he sends out his family as well to, uh, across the river as well too under the cover of night. And he's alone. He's alone. He's alone terrified because of his brother. He's exhausted because he's been fleeing his, uh, he's been fleeing his uh, father-in-law. He's in that perfect place between two burned bridges, and he's alone. And that's when God shows up. In fact, when you look at uh, uh, Jacob's story, this is the first time God shows up. God has always showed up in the, w- w- when Jacob is fleeing or in these crucial moments. In fact, when Jacob was fleeing home and going to his uncles, God showed up in a dream. In the beginning of uh, chapter 32, when Jacob is now going back home, the arm, it says the, 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 our, uh, the angels of God showed up. But this time, God himself, the Christophany, God himself in human form comes down. In his loneliest, most vulnerable, most scared, most freaked out state. And that's how God is with us. And what does that mean for us? A couple, uh, couple things uh, I want us to think about. First, that means God intervenes when Jacob doesn't deserve it at all. At his grossest, at his most, most corrupt, when, 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 when other people look at his story, he should be getting what he deserves, and yet God intervenes on his behalf. Those, that moment when Jacob thought he was completely alone, God says, no, you're not alone. I'm with you here. Scholars uh, ha- have a phrase that uh, th- they use for something like this. It says, God himself graciously condescends. Graciously condescends. That means God, the almighty God, comes down into our lonely, lowly, and earthly state. In our ugliness, in our most deprived, in our most sinfulness, he doesn't say, ah, gross. He comes down with us into the pit. You see where I'm getting at here? Isn't that Christmas? That's what the, this is the whole Advent series. We're pointing towards that. But here in this passage, God says, I'm with you. And there's something transformative about that. There's something transformative when you are alone and you feel rejected and you know you've screwed up and you know that you can't 
fix the situation and you feel full of shame and you're embarrassed about what you did, when God says, I'm still with you. I had, the, I had a extremely powerful uh, experience of this. I mean, for uh, those of you guys who were at the church receipt, uh, retreat, Sarah and I got to share a little bit about our, 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 our marriage, right? Our relationship went through a really incredibly difficult um, separation. And we were millimeters away from being divorced. And I remember when all that went down. I remember when Sarah actually left home and we were advised to stay away from each other. And that was so embarrassing for me. I was just graduating seminary. I was a youth pastor at another church. So everyone's calling me Pastor James, Pastor James. But nobody knew that at home, I wasn't Pastor James. I was dropping F-bomb James. I was, I was verbally abusive. I, was, I had this anger issue that I, just could, that, that, that I thought it was gone and dormant. But, 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 but it was dormant instead of being gone. It just came up and I just couldn't control it. And I wanted to change so bad. But I couldn't tell anybody about it because I was so embarrassed. And other people that knew about it, they didn't want to call me because they were so disappointed. And I remember after crying my eyes out and after Sarah left home, after just trying to think about uh, what I need to do, talking to my dad and, he, and him reminding me, God's with you. You need to give thanks in this moment. You think that this is a disaster. You think that this moment is, is, is what's going to destroy you. Absolutely not. This is the moment. This is the start right here where you're going to be a different person. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Isn't that, that, that's the gospel message, right? That God's with us, and somehow he's not just with us. His power transforms us. Just his very presence means something. And it's transformative. <clears throat> Point number one, how does God deal with Jacob? God relentlessly pursues and meets Jacob. Point number two, how does God deal with Jacob? How does God deal with us? God restrains his judgment and shows generosity with Jacob. Let's look at the text again. Let's start at uh, verse uh, 25. Let's keep reading. So Jacob's alone, verse 25. When the man saw that <clears throat> oh, and, and a man wrestled uh, with him until the breaking of day. So J Jacob's alone, and all of a sudden, this stranger pops up, and the Bible doesn't give very many details. It just said they just wrestled all night. Okay, let's keep reading. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And, it, and if you read the rest of the story, which we'll do in a minute, but... If you read the rest of the story, at this point, we don't know who this strange man that shows up is, this wrestling guy. But later on, we know that it's actually God himself, right? It's God himself that shows up. And a couple of weird things that, we, uh, that I want to point out that uh, we, we should ask. First of all is, why did God wrestle Jacob and let him last all night where he could have easily defeated him? with one touch. And we see that later on. He goes all night, though, and as the sun's coming up, finally, God's like, oh, all right, boom. And his hip just gives out. And that's when Jacob realized, oh, well, I'm, dealing, I'm not dealing with a human being here. I thought I was kind of like maybe winning this fight, but this whole time I realized this guy could have wiped me out. You know, thank God he just touched my, touched my hip. What if he would, like, touch the other areas? What if he, like, smacked me across the head? I'd be dead. 
why did God allow Jacob to wrestle him all night? Because he's trying to teach him a lesson. You wrestling with God, Jacob, you wrestling with God, even that is done under my careful watch. Even that is done under my care. Even that is my grace to you, allowing you to wrestle, allowing you to question me, allowing you to go your own way. Allowing you to suffer and realize that doing things your own way doesn't work. That is my grace to you. And Jacob realized this. He realizes, man, I could have and should have died wrestling against God. He says that later on. I saw God, but I didn't die. So I'm going to name this place and, and build a memorial to it. That's a, that's a magnificent and, and, and wonderful thing. I could have died. God restrained his judgment against Jacob. Jacob could have easily gotten what he deserved, but instead God allows him to wrestle. God allows him to grab him physically and, and, and beat him up all night. Second weird thing. It seems like God is reluctant to bless Jacob, doesn't it? It's Jacob who's like holding on to God and being like, ah, I'm not going to let you go. You need to bless me. And it just kind of seems like God's a stingy God, like, oh. All right, I'll just go ahead and bless you. Doesn't it kind of sound like that a little bit? Like this, this reluctant God that is just kind of like there to, to teach you these, the, the, these uh, spiritual lessons. He pops up at these weird times, does weird things to you, and then you're just like, ah, oh, bless me, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know. Isn't that a lot of times how we view God, though? And you might say no. Well, then if that's the case, then why are you trying to seek the blessing that God has already promised you, but doing it your own way. See, you know what the ironic thing is, is that Jacob, his whole life purpose was to be blessed. And it's shown here. I'm not going to let you go. You need to bless me. You know what the weird thing is? God's promised that already from the beginning. God's, he's asking and going about trying to get this thing that God already is promised to give to him. And instead he thinks, God's stingy. God's not going to give me that. I got to get, get mine. I got to get it. Because no one else is going to give it to me. My dad's not going to give it to me. My brother's not going to give it to me. I got to take it. We have that view of God a lot of times when we, when we say, I'm going to do it my way. So what's the, what's the uh, message here? God, Jacob is so desperate and determined to be blessed. But really, God is actually trying to bless him. God's plan was to manipulate his way into God's will. Uh, Jacob's plan was to manipulate his way into God's will and God's blessing. And God knows that our tendency is to want the blessing without him. But what God wants is us united with him. God offers not just blessing, but God offers his entire self to us. Once again, God with us. God doesn't just tell, uh, tell us that he's going to change our circumstances. He tells us that he is with us. God's presence in our lives is transformative. Point number three. So how does God <clears throat> deal with Jacob? How does God deal with us? 
God redeems Jacob's failures and renews his life. Let's keep reading here, verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, this is Jake. Uh, and he said, I'm Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man, and you have prevailed. God makes Jacob state his name, not because he didn't know what his name was. God's making Jacob state his name because his name is his identity, and his identity, his name uh, suggests, is that he's a deceiver. You know, that's, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's the meaning of Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm the, guy, I'm the guy who deceived my brother. I'm the guy who cheated my dad. I'm the guy who goes about trying to get by life by deceiving other people and doing things my own way. That's who I am, God. And God is making him say that and realize that, yeah, that is you. That's not you anymore. After you encounter me, after you wrestle with me and understand that my grace to you is my very presence, you're a different person. You're no longer Jacob. You're no longer a deceiver, but you're Israel. You're the guy that wrestled with God and with man and prevailed because in those dark, desperate, lonely moments, I showed up and I changed you. That's powerful. It's powerful when... when, when, when God shows up and says, I not only forgive you, but I erase that, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to change your name, your identity, and I'm going to give you a new purpose. That's incredible. That's where the power of hope is. See, God somehow, some, for some weird reason, calls messed up people to participate in his kingdom. You, I want to leave you guys with an analogy. A um, long time ago, I used to work uh, for a company called Guitar Center. And before I moved to the corporate office at Guitar Center, I was actually just working in the store. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a music retail store for those of you guys who don't know what Guitar Center is. And I was an assistant store manager out in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Was with the company for a long time. And so if you've been into guitar center stores, there's just like instruments everywhere. And there's like cheapo instruments, there's really expensive instruments. I mean, it's just everywhere. And part of the, uh, I guess the beauty or the magic of the store is you can just go in there and try any instrument out that you want. You can go in there and so just kids are going in there wailing on guitars, on drums, keyboards. And, and after a while, some of, this, I mean, all the, some of this gear just gets damaged. You know, they just get messed up. And, uh, and, um, you know, there, there would be guitars, like the, uh, like the Squire guitar. I don't know if you guys know what a Squire guitar is, but Squire is a brand name. It's basically a cheap, like, uh, made-in-China knockoff uh, uh, brand. And, you know, and they're just bottom-of-the-line, super entry-level. And, we, and when we'd find a guitar that's a Squire guitar that's broken, we would just toss it. It's not worth it. It's a Squire guitar. It, it costs more to fix it. Than to, actually, than to just zero it out. But then there would be guitars like Fender, Gibson, American-made guitars. And sometimes these guitars were trashed, damaged. And you would, if you didn't know what an American-made Fender or an American-made Gibson custom guitar is, you'd be like, man, toss this too. This is trash. This is like beyond repair. 
But now we would actually keep those guitars and do everything we can to restore them. You know why? Because of that man. The name on the headstock that says Fender. The name on the headstock that says Gibson. That name gave it tremendous value, and it's worth saving and restoring. You see what I'm getting at? We bear the name of Jesus Christ. And God, and no matter how messed up we are, no matter how disobedient we are, God says, you bear the name of Jesus, and you are worth saving and restoring. And that's what transforms us. And that's, the, and that's the message of Jacob to the original audience. As we read Jacob, that's the message to us. As we look forward to Jesus and Christmas and all these things, and we, and we start thinking about what does it really mean that God's with us? It's not just like this nice little Christmas card, cozy, cozy line. It means that there's true hope for us. There's true hope to overcome sin. There's true hope to overcome addictions. There's true hope to... to, 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 to become more Christ-like in the areas that we never thought we could. Have you, aren't there some areas where you struggle with, you just kind of decide, hey, it's just more about behavior modification as long as I don't do it too much. I'm going to get by. And you've kind of given up on the whole idea of, of renewal and transformation in that area. There's hope. Because God operates that way. Let's, let's come before the Lord in silent prayer for, for a few minutes and confess, but also be renewed by this message of hope. Be renewed and be, be, be strengthened. And as we look forward to Christmas, rejoice that God is with us. Let's, let's close in silent prayer, and I'll have uh, Pastor Dan uh, come up, and we'll continue with the Lord's Supper and go right into it. Though we so many times want to try to do things our own way, uh, Lord, we thank you for this Savior who has come to show us a better way, to put our trust in you, because you are the God who provides, you are the God who is faithful to us. So, Lord, we pray that as we come to the table now, won't you be our provider? Won't you be the one who continues to bless us? So, Lord, we might be able to go out and be a blessing to others. Won't you do that now? We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the table this morning, this is what we have the opportunity to do. I know all of us can relate to the story of Jacob. We all want to try to do things our own way. We fight for our own blessings, our own security, uh, our own making a name for ourselves. But the reminder is that we bear the name of Christ. And not only does he want to bless us and restore us, he wants to do that here at the most intimate place possible around the table. He wants to remind you that you are his. He wants to remind you that he wants to feed you before you go out into the cold, into the, into the insecure places, whether it's in your own life, in the lives of others. He wants to restore us here at the table so that we might be fed, we might be reminded, we might be nourished to know that we are people who, has, who have received God's blessing. And there's no better place than to be in his arms. And so as we come to the table,